0: Please note the following episode contains references to isolation as a new revert Muslim, which some listeners may find upsetting.
1: I wanted to share this story, so one of the things that I sometimes struggle with, mm-hmm. my family still teased me about a time when there were lots of people walking by. It was quite busy and loud. As
2: Ramadan started, I found myself not only my life in my daily practices. Mm-hmm. I
3: was particularly excited about this one event fan.
0: Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Submissions Podcast.
1: Thank you for joining us wherever you are, however you listen to your podcasts. We hope that this podcast achieves its intentions of being a platform to explore and share stories from Muslims.
0: In our podcast, we share stories from everyday Muslims doing everyday things. Some of the stories will make you chuckle, some of them will leave your heart glowing... Some will make you anxious or feel on edge, and all of them are true stories told with the authentic voices of the Muslims who
3: experience them.
1: Between the stories, you will hear from a couple of members of the submissions team, talking and reflecting about the stories and sharing their own thoughts and insights while stimulating discussion.
0: We pray that we can achieve all that we intend and more for the sake of Allah to whom we submit. Bismillah, this is Submissions.
1: Assalamu alaikum everyone. My name's Mahnoor and I'm very excited to be hosting an episode again today. I feel like I haven't done this in ages, so I'm really excited to be back. Just to contextualize this, we're recording in November 2020 during lockdown 2 in the United Kingdom. So, a lot of heavy emotions floating around. And I'm really excited to be joined by my co-host.
0: Assalamu alaikum, everybody. I'm Hania and Uh, It feels like quite recently that I recorded my last episode, I think I've, yeah, you're being graced by me two times in a row, maybe, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but yeah, it is, it is lockdown part two, How's it going
1: for you, Mattanur? So it's been um, it's been an interesting few weeks because I had booked annual leave to visit my parents who live abroad, and in light of lockdown and all the events that kind of have happened in the last few weeks, I didn't get to go. So I've I've spent I've had the last ten days off work, which has been Mm -hmm. um, which has been really really lovely, and I've done it's the first time I've had this much time off work and had no Mm -hmm. real quote unquote plans. Mm. Um, And I really just gave myself the time and space to actually do not much. Um, Initially, when when my annual leave started, I I made this whole long list and I said, okay, I'm going to at least try and catch up on all these like life tasks that I have uh, pending that I never get to do because of work. And then actually, like I I spent at least a good four or five days um, intentionally just taking it really slow as though I was abroad on holiday. Um, Oh, nice. And so, yeah, that was that was a really good thing I did. I think mm-hmm. now re- having reached the, I'm going back to work tomorrow and I feel like I actually have reset and refreshed, mm. which is good. How that's, have you been, Tanya? Yeah,
0: that's amazing. I was talking yesterday to my husband about how COVID has really changed the landscape of annual leave and how, like, the culture of it and that, mm. you know, people used to plan for big things and now it's, like, just taking... Yeah, just like you said, like these sporadic rest days and I think it's a nice way to kind of recharge and connect with home and, you know, just have some downtime. But no, alhamdulillah, it's been good. I think the last, um, one of the first things I did um, with in this new lockdown is look back at my journal from lockdown one I was journaling quite a lot at the time I think it was maybe because it was coinciding with Ramadan so it's really nice to kind of revisit the things that made that period kind of um well the ups and downs of that period and to see the the things that I tapped into to um as a support and as a way of you know keeping myself busy and uh, happy and um, so it was yeah it was nice to kind of remember those things and try and make sure that I pick them up again in this period too yeah Um, but with the added dimension of weather I guess um, and darkness
1: yeah that's so that's so true Mm. actually when you know mentioning that I've that's been one of Mm. my biggest struggles that it's getting dark really early at the moment and that's probably been one of the biggest changes in this lockdown but I agree like having having gone through that really long period before and had it as a yeah like you said a resource I've also found myself like not journaling because I'm not a journaler but doing my version of journaling which is just doodling on scraps (laughs) of paper oh amazing um and yeah just really trying to like channel you know what was it that really got me through the last time and um, Mm. and alhamdulillah having that comfort that you know what it we did come out of it and we did you know semi-normalized so inshallah
3: Mm. there's
1: a lot to look forward to on the horizon um for sure let's get started with today's episode inshallah
0: so the three stories that we're sharing with you today all speak of the importance of understanding that time is not something that we can control and that things happen right when they're supposed to hope you enjoy
1: we're super excited to share our first story that comes from a fellow podcaster, That Revert Girl. Her story takes us through her experience of Allah answering her da'as when she most needed it. Here's the story.
2: Assalamu alaykum, everyone. Today, I'm gonna to share with you a story about my first Ramadan. In the summer of 2013, I was a brand new Muslim, having only just said my shahada about a month or two before. Things were challenging, to say the least. In my journey to Islam, unfortunately, I had alienated my family and I was living at home in very tense conditions. I've always grown up super close to my family, so it was incredibly tough that They weren't really speaking to me anymore and treating me like a stranger in my own home. In hindsight, of course, I I don't really blame them for how they reacted because, of course, it was a shock to them for me to become Muslim. Anyways, that summer, I had gotten myself into an investment banking internship and Ramadan was due to start in the third week of my internship. So this was like a really competitive internship with hundreds and thousands of people who applied and only 20 people got it. And after the internship, only eight people would then get an an offer for a full-time role. The internship was on the trading floor, which meant I was getting up at 5am every day to get into the office by 6am. As Ramadan started, I found myself not only sleep deprived because of my long hours on my internship, but also getting really bad uh, migraines because of the high pressure that you normally get on the trading floor. At home, things were really tough because my family didn't know I was fasting. At the time, it was just too complicated to explain to them what Ramadan was and why I was fasting. To them, it would be something that's, you know, an extreme consequence of me choosing a religion that they thought wasn't good for me. So instead, I avoided telling them about Ramadan and that I was fasting and just had to do everything in secret instead. So instead of going home when I finished work, I would go for a long walk or sit on a park bench outside until it was closer to Maghrib. Ramadan was incredibly lonely for me, if I'm being honest. I mean, for, for many Muslims, Ramadan is a time that, you know, they're at home more and they spend more time with their family. They have these, you know, amazing feasts together for iftar, going to night prayers together, waking up all bleary eyed to have suhur with their family. And, you know, not only was I feeling particularly vulnerable after converting, but I was also dealing with the unusual detached and estranged feeling from my family and dealing with my first Ramadan was, was hard enough but the loneliness was definitely something that no one mentioned to me when I was looking into Islam. Often I would have to sneak around at home to prepare myself like a sad little piece of toast and eat by myself in my bedroom and I'd rarely eat so horrible because I was too afraid to go downstairs and wake up my family and have them ask me, you know, what on earth I was doing. It was a depressing time for me, and I'd never, ever felt more alone in my life. I spent many nights after Iftar just sobbing until I fell asleep. This one evening in the last 10 nights of Ramadan, I felt just completely hopeless. I had one of those conversations with Allah where your emotions are are just at an all time high. You're just in a, a haze of pouring your heart out until you're completely empty. I just I felt so alone. You know, I was thinking, was it always going to be like this? I was feeling, you know, do I even matter? Why do I feel like I don't even exist? I don't have anybody. The next day. I dragged myself to the office for another long day at work and on my way home I stopped by Tesco to do some risky pre iftar grocery shopping if you know what I mean. I was on the phone with a friend and I was just chatting away about how my first Ramadan was going and in the corner of my eye I would see a sister watching me Um, and she was watching me whilst I was like looking for chocolate eclairs or or something. Um, Trust me, pre iftar grocery shopping is, is so, so dangerous. Try not to do it. But anyways, I, I paid for my groceries and I left. And I saw the sister standing outside Tesco waiting for me. Uh, she said her salams and, and then straight away tried to go in for a hug. And I was really taken aback because obviously she was practically a stranger. But she quickly explained that, you know, she overheard me on the phone, saying it was my first Ramadan. and She just wanted to to say hi. She asked me about myself and she was like super insistent that i join her and her family for iftar that night Uh, i you know i said maybe not tonight but you know i'll give you my number and maybe we can arrange something um and you know what the the rest of my iftars at ramadan were spent at her home with her amazing family and she would prepare these big wonderful bengali feast where you know you just eat so much different kinds of food and even leading up to to Eid I was I was dreading the the lack of celebration it was for me you know whilst the whole Ummah celebrated with their family I knew I was going to be alone but she insisted that I come and join her at her mother-in-law's for the big family get-together subhanallah and before Eid she bought me the most gorgeous yellow salakamis for Eid and Um, we went over to her mother-in-law's house and spent the whole day eating and eating and eating, um, playing games outside with the kids. And, you know, it was just, it had been such a long time since I felt like I was with family after feeling so alone for so long, um, after, you know, so long feeling like an outcast in my own home, subhanAllah. In this instance, you know, Allah heard my prayers, and set that sister on my path in Tesco's, Allah gave me the comfort when I so badly needed it. And when I think about that story, it reminds me that even when things seem so dark, and you lose hope completely that they'll ever get better, it's so easy to forget that, you know, with hardship always comes ease. In that dark time in my life, I chose to place my trust wholeheartedly in Allah, not to ask him to make the mountain smaller, but to make climbing it easier. Allah truly is the best of planners. And even when you see no way out, always have trust in Allah. This story is my proof that you're never alone.
1: Yeah, what did you
0: what did you think of that, Hania? Um, oh, I really liked that story, Mahnoor. I always, I think there's always something so moving about listening to the early experiences or even the later experiences of reverts, uh, especially, um, you know, when uh, you're not one. <laughs> um, so and you know the the really profound journeys that they've always been on to reach those places, um, and the unique struggles that they face as well. Um, what was your, what was your first, first thought or like, what was the, yeah what stuck with you the most?
1: Yeah, subhanallah. I, I do, I find, uh, I found this story really, really moving and you're right. It is because hearing that experience of somebody's journey, um, to Islam and through Islam, um, is, it's such a, it's such a heart wrenching thing to listen to. And you hear this, you know, I, I think coming from the experience of being a revert, mm. it's almost more it, it pulls on my heartstrings even more because I I feel so mm. um I feel so removed from that experience. But at the same time I do believe that most Muslims have their own experience within Islam and within their own discovery of finding Islam even as being born of a Muslim. Not that I think it's specifically mm-hmm. comparable, but I, I still think those stories do have quite an impact on me uh, because it's something that I think about a lot with my own journey um Mm. something that I really 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 found um difficult to listen to was about her sentiments on feeling like a stranger in her own home and that being during the month of Ramadan in specific um which like she said you know in in most Muslim households even Mm even muslim households that aren't necessarily very practicing or cultural like ramadan still is this like you know momentous time during the year where everybody does come together and your routines do align up and you know you're you're it's it it, even if you're usually the type of family that doesn't have breakfast lunch and dinner together you know iftar yeah become the meals yeah Mm. Um, and i found that a really like really really painful thing to listen to Mm. um but but mashallah mashallah something that that i couldn't i couldn't help but reflect on throughout the whole um, story was her unwavering um unwavering reliance on mm. allah and her tawakkul and i just i i was so moved and inspired by the phrases that she used um and it was so clear just through the phrasing that you know she she never she never looked at it as a why me thing it was always like she says in the end you know she asked um asked Allah not to make the mountain smaller but to make climbing it easier and i think that's mm. like such an excellent example of what tawakkul is yeah um yeah yeah and i i think for, from the that's like my first thought on listening to the story that like you know her tawakkul was just absolutely unwavering inspiring and the result of it and what Allah granted her um and what Allah granted her and and made easier for her um, was incredible.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that note of it being inspiring, I, that really resonates with me as well. I found as I was listening to the story, it just reminded me of some pretty like old school values or um, like lessons from the past. I guess I I could say that. I felt really were reflected in her story Mm. so the first I guess parallel that I drew between her story and the kind of old stories or things that I've heard from from the past is that idea of doing deeds in secret um and even though her doing her fasting in secret was you know she was kind of forced into that state but it's such a we we're always told that that's such a mark. Of sincerity is to do something in a way that it's hidden and yeah. it's just between you and allah um and i remember hearing like an anecdote of the um you know the earlier generations of of righteous muslims where um there was one man who fasted for like 20 years without his family knowing and he's from a muslim family but he just decided that that yeah. was the deed that he wanted to be between himself and allah and then the way that he would go to the extent to keep it hidden, that he would put, like, grease on his lips so that it looked like he'd eaten recently. Um, and so mm. I, I always hear those stories and think, like, how could we feasibly manage that in these... Um, in the in the way that we live, in these communal ways that we uh, live as Muslims, you know, when we're from Muslim families? And um, so subhanAllah, she might not have realised it at the time, but, like, what an amazing marker of sincerity that she was afforded in those moments um and and the ways that she's emulating people from the past um you know the most righteous people from the past um so i thought that was really beautiful even though there was you know it was a really painful experience for her um and the other kind of old school thing that i really picked up on was just the hospitality and generosity of the lady that she met in the grocery store um yeah yeah i just really liked that i feel like we always hear stories from you know the time of the companions where people random people would be guests at random people's houses and again like that seems a little i always hear those and that seems a little removed from Um, the experiences that we have now I think we we tend to be a little bit more suspicious and guarded and um, Mm. so it was really beautiful to hear of somebody in you know this day and age just having that open-heartedness and what how much of an impact that that had on on her and it was just a really good reminder for those of us who've got that capacity to make sure we extend that you know when we can yeah
1: yeah a hundred percent, and I think yeah that second point that you made really struck me mm-hmm. as well and and not and even just you know comparing i don't know my parents' generation to our generation, I just feel like we are a lot more reserved, a lot more suspicious, a lot more um stuck to timings and schedules mm-hmm. and, and you know different sorts of. We're 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 very chained to these things, whereas I, I do feel like growing up I saw my parents, um you know, in my parents' house I saw people drop by randomly, I saw them invite people that they had just met and you know, often times these people would be coming to our house and I'd be like, Oh like Mama, how do you know this yeah. person? And she'd be like, Oh well I met them the other day at the supermarket <laughs> and I invited them over for coffee and I'm like, What yes. like, how could you do that? Um, <laughs> Yeah. And, and, you know, it is, you're right. Like when we have the capacity to offer that it's, it's something that we have somehow normalized really holding back Mm. on. But but I think watching the impact that this had on, um, on her and her relationship with Islam and her Ramadan experience and then her Eid experience Mm. and, and how much, how much of a role that that one gesture then had a knock on effect and, 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 and played in in this in in that revert girl's life, and seeing the knock on effect that that had in that revert girl's life really just reminds me that oftentimes I fall into this pattern of thinking um, that like oh you know she's on the phone with somebody she probably does have somebody to eat if star with or oh she's you know she probably will have you know. Like basically, I I can't remember what that theory is called, but it's that theory where you don't do something because you think someone else will do it. So yeah. like, even if you're like, I don't know, driving by an accident and you think like, OK, well, there's 30 cars driving by this accident. Somebody will stop. It doesn't have to be me. Um, And I think that I find that a really like haunting concept because then, you know, the converse can also be true. And you're like, well, why shouldn't it just be me? Why shouldn't I just be the one to to, to take this on, especially like you said, if we have the capacity and may Allah reward this woman that approached her and then gave her, and then it had her over at um, at her house for consecutive iftars and for Eid and and may Allah accept um, that revert girl's acts of worship during such a difficult time and continues to accept all her acts of worship. Um, but yeah, I think that's an amazing takeaway for me personally.
0: Our next story is from Sarah. It's a gentle reflection on constantly striving through her spiritual journey.
4: Assalamualaikum, my name is Sarah. I am a Malaysian currently based in Australia. Firstly, I would like to say thank you to my friend Ayn for kindly suggesting me to submit something to this podcast. I think this podcast is a really awesome initiative. Uh, but also, at the very moment when she asked me for a submission, immediately I was already thinking Why is she asking from me? I feel extremely inadequate to be submitting something And also, I guess at the back end of my mind, I just don't think I'm a good enough Muslim or an individual to be submitting something But then, I just thought maybe that was what I should talk about the feelings of being inadequate and alone um, and maybe some ways that I manage and mitigate these feelings um, I think uh, our feelings of being down and inadequate um, as Muslims, particularly in our daily practices of praying, fasting, etc. does comes and goes in waves sometimes we feel like we are doing well to achieve what we need to do today and at times we just feel like that that prayer wasn't good enough or simply just missing a prayer and i still have those days and i sometimes really really feel upset about it just because i feel like at 29 years old i should have sorted this out a long time ago but i haven't but i try to you know you know manage those kind of feelings um, um also this inadequate feelings did also started um, because i do follow some muslim writers and one of them which i really wish i followed and love wrote down like a whole checklist of things that this person felt and it has achieved um and at every point i was just oh no i didn't feel that oh no i haven't achieved that and i just felt oh, immediately i just felt frustrated inadequate and that i'm just not enough and that and then i just started thinking but that's this person's story, that I am not this person and I have struggles that sh- cannot be compared to that person and vice versa as well. And you know, my life and my daily practices probably shouldn't be compared to another person. So I guess I should build my own checklist and this is my checklist for to be shared. Firstly, um, I tried to remember the moments that I was feeling most connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Usually, this would be during prayers and prayers where I had extremely strong emotions too. I just remembered feeling during prayers... I felt extremely comforted and that the burden was lifted at that moment. And then the strength somehow, you know, I just felt that being returned to my body. And those moments, remembering those moments really helped me to be like, yes, I am still connected to Allah. He is still connected to me. I just need to, you know, just be better and... And just remember those moments um, Secondly, I try to do better today than yesterday This was something a religious teacher of mine told me a long time ago um, it's, it's a very simple example If I prayed three times yesterday, today I should be better and I should pray four times And I try to do that it, And it just helps me feel like I'm doing better than I was doing yesterday And doing better, even just a little bit, is progress. And it really helps to, you know, in my journey to try and be closer to Allah. And lastly, this is a bit more simplistic, but um, I love hiking. I've been doing it for many years. And hiking has really taught me a few things. Firstly, it really taught, really teach me about determination. And life is a step-by-step journey. Sometimes there's uphills. Sometimes the path is easy and clear and is downhill. But at the end of the day, um hiking also taught me has allowed me to view some of Allah's most magnificent creations in mountains and hills and lakes and cliffs in the sea. Um and I'm just truly, truly blessed to be able to, you know, through the, an activity that I really enjoyed. Um uh, to be able to view some of his most magnificent creations, and obviously it reminds me that there is there must be a creator behind those beautiful sights, Subhanallah. Um, yeah, I think my checklist is simple. I really hope it does. It it would help someone who might be feeling inadequate or alone in their journey and daily practices. And I hope we all be better Muslims at the end of the day, Inshallah. Thank you.
0: Mahnoor, how did you find that?
1: So I really loved the way uh, Sarah starts her story um, because I find that this is such a common sentiment that I've experienced myself and I've heard from so many people, especially in the context of this podcast, actually. Um, I have all these incredible friends and people in my lives that I've approached and asked mm. for a story. And often the sentiment is quite similar that like, oh, no, I don't have anything. Yeah. You know, like, why are you asking me kind of thing? And um, I just found uh, the direction Sarah took that story and yeah. and shared with us really, um, really important because it's something that I think everyone can relate to and something that everyone struggles with and experiences Uh, in their own right. So actually, from her story, one of the one of the things that stood out to me the most was uh, the last thing she said about hiking. I was recently reading in um, Surah Al-Ankabut in Ayah 19 and 20. Mm -hmm. um, And I'll just read the translation. And it says, Do they not see that God brings life into being and reproduces it? Truly, this is easy for God. Say, travel throughout the earth and see how he brings life into being and he will bring the next life into being. God has power over all things. Um, And I think Sarah so beautifully outlined uh, how these activities like hiking and, and, you know, whatever it is for you yourself personally, for me, it's often traveling, are such a huge part of our spiritual journey and resetting Mm -hmm. our intentions, being mindful, recentering something that we wouldn't quote-unquote associate to with our spirituality actually is a really integral part of building that connection with Allah and Allah's creation and, and understanding the creator by, by really appreciating the creations. Um, and mm. I think that was really something that stood out to me from her story.
0: I think that's so beautiful. And it's really, um, yeah, uh, one of the things that stood out to me, I think, along in, in the same vein, is that she was able to recognize... I remember somebody calling or reading an article or something about spiritual personalities and how we each have different. We all, we of course, we all have the base, you know, the acts of worship that are um, obligated upon us. But then everybody has their additional ways that they connect with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala and uh, their spirituality. And so I think it was so beautiful that her third, the third thing on her checklist was um her recognizing what it is that does that for her um and that yeah then the way that that's even mentioned in the quran is um something that causes people connection and reflection is really amazing as well so just like bringing the ayah up as a reminder i think Mm -hmm. um one ayah that actually came to my mind was from her second point um and it's funny that, yeah, for both of us, this, this story is like um, reminding us of the Quran um, really directly, but I liked, or was it for, maybe for her first checklist point, I can't remember, was her remembering what are those times of heightened connection for her? And she mentioned that those were generally times where she's feeling strong emotions. And um, the other day I was reading Surah An-Najm and I came across an ayah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, um he is the one who causes you to laugh and cry or to uh, weep and laugh um and it just really like i it really made me pause um at the time i was reading it and this immediately brought that back to me of that allah is the source of those strong emotions and sometimes we don't recognize both Mm. you know times of heightened happiness and times of heightened sadness as opportunities for connection um it just yeah i hadn't i hadn't really um like it hadn't really sunk into me how how allah is the the source of those emotional experiences Mm. as well um he's the source of everything and i think yeah uh when, when we're when we're going through those emotional experiences we can become overwhelmed by them um and so I thought it was really beautiful that for her that those were times of increased connection. And I think that's, you know, what what the true meaning of those experiences really like. That's why they're sent to us as to as, as chances to connect. I'm really <laughs> <minding> happy. <that. laughs> but yeah, that was what really stuck out to me uh, in her story.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's definitely something I relate to, but like you said, I I don't think I've ever actively related to it until she's phrased it the way she did. Mm-hmm. Um but I I completely agree like in my in my really extreme heightened emotional moments of whether it's happiness, sadness, joy, that is when I when I do relate to Allah the most. Um and I often recognize that that's come, you know, like whatever has brought me extreme sadness or extreme joy, it is from Allah's plan. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, another thing that I found uh, quite interesting to draw upon was um, that she mentioned her age and this like unsaid pressure that I think all of us feel about having, mm. uh, <laughs> having <laughs> life sorted out by a specific age. You know, she mentioned how she was 29 and she should have X, Y and Z sorted out and uh, I I know that like both you and I have discussed this uh, separately when we've done uh, various um, things with with uh, like youth groups or teen sessions um, about how we always go into these sessions thinking like, you know, okay this is a younger age group. um, It's going to you know, I need to like make my statements less profound and like tone it down in some way. And then actually like I always end up leaving those environments and spaces being so blown away by the by the the things that they've said and the thoughts and the ideas yeah. and yeah um and and then equally like you know i think like l- this intergenerational and experience and learning from people of all ages and really discounting this unsaid pressure that you know by a certain age you have to have a cert- acquired a certain level of um of i want i don't want to say goals because these are like it was more specifically like spiritual uh, connectivity, mm. which I think is a very cyclical thing. Um, mm. but yeah, I just really recognize that, you know, she said that, and it's something that I feel, and I know a lot of people I've spoken to feel, um, and I act mm. on it all the time as well. Like I behave in that way that, okay, you know, now <laughs> I'm like yeah. a, a year older, therefore I must be <laughs> much more insightful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just, That's it's true. just not true at all. So I, I found that a really great reminder um from Sarah's story.
0: I was just gonna say I love the word that you use cyclical for like spiritual connectivity because yeah, I think we can sometimes feel like there's this arrival point or destination that we're supposed to reach with it because most things in life are linear and actually this you know, our connection is something that we should yeah, that there's no there's no end <laughs> there's no end point it's always it's there's always more to do more to do and different ways to connect and
1: yeah and and uh, you know when i think about the cyclical nature of our own spiritual journey and spiritual connection and like cyclical journey of iman and things it really like even the ayah that i read like it even uh resonates with that for me like when when mm. uh, when it says in the quran that you know he brings life into being and he will bring the next thing next life into being and this concept of you know Allah bring, giving life and taking away life, and we see it every day with like you know as we go through the seasons with the plants and like the leaves falling and dying and the new leaves coming and and you you watch this cyclical nature um the cyclical journey within nature all the time and and it's something that I really relate to and i I find it a very i don't know I find it something that brings me closer to Allah like when i feel like my iman is dipping like the knowledge that without this dip i wouldn't have the high um it really does bring me comfort even though in that moment obviously it's not it's not a comforting feeling to have to know that you're in a Mm. in a lower phase um but that knowledge that everything goes in cycles and goes back round exactly yeah. yeah yeah So I think that was a really um, lovely story from Sarah. Our final story is from Afia, who shares a story in which she's faced with the humbling reality of how we measure impact or success.
3: Assalamualaikum. Alaikum, my name is Afia and I'm a recent graduate from the University of East Anglia in Norwich in international relations and French. That's where our story takes place today. In September 2019, I was selected as the Student Union Officer for the university and one of my responsibilities included hosting the events for Black History Month. I was particularly excited about this one event which I had designed and planned and was going to host about race and its relationship with the digital sphere. My friend Mumby, who is a digital illustrator, um, with her own company called Mumu Moo Moo Designs was coming down from London to Norwich just to talk on that day. I was in complete trepidation when I woke up on the day of the event and saw that there was just torrential downpour and I was so worried it would affect the turnout of the event and to my dismay I was right and I was even more deflated when I saw that only 12 students droopily walked into this giant auditorium which we'd beautifully decorated, expecting there to be 50 to 60 people. And I was so scared to tell Mumbi, who hadn't arrived yet and was slightly delayed due to the weather conditions of the tr- on the train tracks, that this is what she was coming down from London for. A room which I told her would be entirely packed with students was now two-thirds, if not more, empty. Alhamdulillah, I was very lucky that despite this, we all pushed through and we hosted a great event. And lots of people came at the end of the event, out of the 12, and told us how much they had enjoyed it and learned from it. Among these was a lady who had attended the event with her husband and her children who told me how much insight she had gained from the event. Much to my shame I hadn't really registered what she'd said or what anybody else had said or how well the event had really gone because I was too consumed in my own doubts and my own disappointment at how this event had really turned out much worse than I had planned and how it really had no significant impact. I was feeling exhausted and I was experiencing something which people now commonly refer to as activism fatigue as had as it had been an exhausting month of various events and much preparation and this really was the icing on the cake which kind of confirmed my fears and doubts that I was spending too much time doing uh, too much on this issue giving it too much energy and it really wasn't having any real impact on anyone and it is my final year of my studies and I should be more selective and try to focus my energy on my studies since that's the most important thing right now given that I really truly I'm not having any impact on this kind of anti-racism work that I'm doing on campus. The difficult thing was I was very passionate about this work And I truly wanted to follow in the footsteps of our Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. And I wanted to enjoin good where I saw evil and forbid it. And at that time, I thought the best way to do it was to take this role in my university as it is well within my capacity. Fast forward to June 2020, I was so shocked to see an email from this lady who had approached me at the end of the event saying, Dear Afia, I truly truly enjoyed your event and I learned so much from it. And I have been involved in my own anti-racism work and I have started to create a platform in which people from Norwich can get together and learn how to be better allies. I was truly astonished to say the least. I could not believe that my event had this much of an impact on her that she was inspired to start her own activism in this field and I was truly in awe that she could even remember the things I said in so much depth as she had explained in the email. Further to this her husband who worked for Apple then later told me that he really enjoyed the event and that he speaks about it at his workplace and if It is possible he and his team would like to get involved in this project. I was just stunned. This just reminded me yet again, how we do not know in which way our love will reveal his divine plan and how he will help align our intentions with the means and the opportunity to bring them into fruition this really reaffirmed my value of values of tawakkal and made me yet again realize that allah is the best disposer of our affairs upon reflection i wish i had stayed more patient and remained more optimistic in the situation of last october and i feel truly blessed to be able to carry on this work going
1: what did you think of that story Hania?
0: I really liked it I think it was something that as someone that is a little tends to be a little impatient um was a really good reminder for me about optimism being a long game um and I really liked uh the way that you framed the story at the very beginning of it being um, of the humbling reality of measuring impact. Um, one of when we when we first received this story, one of our uh, other co-hosts or team members um, immediately drew a parallel to Surah Abasa and the story um, of the first few ayahs of that surah, where Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is. Um, and telling the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam about an incident where he was the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was talking to some of the leaders of Quraysh who were opposed to him, and he was trying, you know, trying to um, preach to them about the mission of Islam. And while he was in this gathering with these leaders of Quraysh, uh, a blind man Abdullah ibn Masood, he was a, a famous companion, um, but a very poor. Companion, he came and tried to get the Prophet Muhammad's attention. And uh, as he was occupied with these dignitaries from Quraysh, the Prophet Muhammad just turned his face away from Abdullah in that moment. Um, And Surah Abbasah was then revealed to explain to the Prophet Muhammad and to us that actually his attention would have been um, better spent with. Abdullah the blind man because he was a man of sincerity and righteousness and um so it's just it it, the whole story serves as a reminder of you know we don't know necessarily where the greatest impact is or sometimes what we see as success or a successful interaction um might not be actually what is successful in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or most impactful in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um and so I guess the parallel to this story is that um afia was measuring the impact or success of her um event which by the way sounds really cool um she was (laughs) she was measuring it in terms of just the number of people that turned out without realizing that actually in this small audience was somebody from apple that would then take that to their workplace and then how much um bigger of an impact that might be than you know a bunch of slightly disinterested um, students Um, yeah so it's like a quality over quantity scenario and I think that's a it was a really beautiful illustration of that concept that we have in our faith but also just yeah we should apply it try and apply that to all of the things that we strive to do and what kind of yeah what stood out to you Mahnaur?
1: yeah i think I think that's um that's a really interesting point you made and thank you so much for recapping the story so beautifully um the story in surah Abbasa. um i think uh it's uh, elements of afia's story remind me a bit of that revert girl' story with regards to how the knock on effect of our actions can lead to so much more than we would ever imagine and mm. and yeah you're right with with regards to measuring measurement of success. It's it's such an interesting thing, because I I see the logic behind measuring it in terms of, you know, numbers, because when Mm. you're often planning an event, that is what the pressure is based on, you know, you're trying to sell a number of tickets, you're trying to fill out a venue, you're trying to, you know, increase the reach. But it's so yeah, it's just so humbling to see the impact that this had on uh, on this couple and the knock-on effect that this had on the work that they went and then they went on to go and do, um, and and therefore you know if we then measure it in terms of numbers, like the number is just increased. It, it's way more than the ten fifteen people that she saw trickling into right. into the venue. And I think sometimes we don't we don't have knowledge of these things. So like it's really it's really moving that Afia it came back round to Afia and you know this woman got in touch and and she right. became aware that this was her impact but actually like it really got me thinking about how um, how we how how I need to put more of my trust in Allah and purify my intentions behind actions like these if my intention behind my action is to create a positive impact then to measure that based on the impact that that's created even without me having witness to it what really stood out to me was the ability and need to purify our intentions, and sometimes that comes from as a result of hearing about what's happened so afia really talks about how it retrospectively she basically purifies her intentions and has this understanding of mm-hmm. uh, of you know how rewarding what she did was, even though in that moment she probably she did. In that moment, she looked past um, some of the feedback that she had gotten on the day because she hadn't met the target that she set for herself.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: but actually, you know, the the work can go above and beyond that. Um, and I think it's a really, really humbling concept for me to think of, uh, especially in light of the other stories that we've heard today that, you know, Allah really does give us what we need when we need it and sometimes we think we need something in a given moment but actually you know in June 2020 when that woman approached Alfie again might have been exactly when she really needed to like acknowledge what she had done at the time. Yeah
0: and yeah exactly uh, timing is such a uh, I think underrated um, aspect of just the happenings of our lives um, and it's really really something that we have no control over. Um and so I think this was yeah a really beautiful reminder of that as well. That yeah things happen at the right time. And I think that that also kind of harks back to what you were talking about um with Sarah's story of having these like arbitrary benchmarks against our age, um of you know need to do the like goals and things that we think we're supposed to have achieved by these um yeah time boxes but actually um, yeah, we we never know when the true, truly correct time is.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, having that faith that we don't know when the correct time for these things are, but Allah knows when the correct time for these things are, and and knowing that Allah will also grant us these things right. when it's our time. So that that wraps up our episode today. Alhamdulillah, we've had three really powerful and moving stories. Our three take home messages from the stories of the day are one everyone is on their own journey but Allah is with us all two to be the person that takes initiative and have faith in the knock on effect that you will create and three the power of contemplation and reflection and the importance of that in our in our spiritual journey
0: I think that summarizes a little summarizes it all up perfectly we love being able to share this podcast with you but it's only possible with the help of your wonderful and insightful stories so please get in touch via our website www.submissionspodcast.com you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our social media at submissions podcast on instagram jazakallah khair for listening until next
2: time this was submissions